to the Color and Photography Podcast, where we cover marginalized photographers from the past and the present. The format of this podcast will be both interviews as well as historical storytelling. At the end of each episode, stay tuned for our weekly suggestion on cultivating your creative mind. Now stay tuned for our profile on James Vanderzee, the keenest eye in Harlem. One foggy day in New York City, a researcher was given the task of finding photography that highlighted the Harlem Renaissance. It was 1967, and just like everything, time got in the way of the truth. You see, everyone thought Harlem was always run down and always unkempt, like it was in 67. But this researcher found photographs that showed a different Harlem, a vibrant Harlem, a beautiful Harlem, a Harlem that only James Van Der Zee could capture. In those photographs were socialites, parades, celebrities, and families, all of the black community, a community that time forgot about, a community rediscovered for a very special exhibition. But let's start at the beginning. We all remember that spark, you know the one, that lit that match to light your chosen path. The spark for James was an ad in a youth companion magazine that said sell 20 packets of Lady Satchet at 10 cents each and we will send you a camera. Well the fifth grader that he was, he sold to everyone he knew and waited for the fragrance to run out and sold to them again. And off he sent for the camera. Fast forward to no developed images and disappointment. James decided he needed to buy a real camera. Many pulled weeds and planted flowers later at 25 cents an hour would gain him the $5 he needed to send away for a 4x5 Klieg camera. Now it's 1897 and one might wonder how all of this is possible, but the Van Der Zee family was not your ordinary family. They sang, painted, even played music. Family time was all of them in a room creating. So it's not far-fetched for a fifth grader to turn his closet into a dark room and document his classmates, most of whom were white, with his brand new camera. It wasn't until his teacher offered to buy a print for 10 cents that the possibility of making a living off of photography floated through his mind. But it would be a while before James and Time met at the same crossroads. Soon, James was capturing the likeness of some of the elite families in his hometown of Lenox, Massachusetts. Families like the Vanderbilts, the Morgans, and Westingtons. In fact, years later, the story in one of these images would walk through his studio door and find him again, with the daughter of one of his subjects, who later married a Carnegie. A few years later, James decided it was time to quit school and start working. He was 13. He began helping his father at Trinity Church, polishing brass, dusting pews, mowing lawns, even the occasional digging of a grave. It was a church after all. In 1902, it was time for a change and James started working as a waiter at the Aspen Wall, the newest hotel in Lenox that hosted vacationers. But a broken dish turned into a broken tray of dishes through the exaggeration of a dishwasher and Van Der Zee was let go. The incident had tarnished his reputation and work became scarce, so he chose to move to New York City with his younger brother, Walter. They eventually moved to Harlem, a neighborhood that had seen numerous opportunities through development, 
and with the rush of new homes, many sat dormant which gave the emerging black middle class an opportunity to fill them. Soon the lessons James learned as a young boy playing music came back as a way to earn some money through various nightclubs, all the while still taking photos of friends on the side. It was at St. Mark's Church, however, where he met his first wife, Kate Brown, while playing violin. After his performance, Kate walked up to him to introduce herself. Her personality won him over, fun-loving and stubborn. It wasn't long before they were married, and later their daughter Rachel was born. Being from the South, Kate wanted to spend her summers there, which meant moving out of their apartment on West 29th Street. But it was fate for James to go to Virginia, Phoebus to be exact, because it was the time away that allowed his vision to grow and artistic perspective to finally take a step through his lens. During this time, the idea of opening a photo studio kept creeping up in his thoughts, but they floated away every time Kate would say, No, you'd better get a job. You'll at least know where your money's coming from. It wasn't until Jenny Vanderzee moved to Harlem with her new husband, Ernest Toussaint, that things started to change. It was Jenny's dream to open a school of music and art for young students, and in 1910 it came true. The Toussaint Conservatory of Music and Art officially opened at 221 West 134th Street and would remain in existence for the next 46 years. It was here that James found a new opportunity, with many of the Vanderzee children moving into the second floor of the conservatory, there was ample space where James created a small studio, as a hobby, of course. One day, while searching for work in the local paper, James saw a posting for a darkroom man, so he figured he was dark enough and answered the ad. It took some convincing, but James got the job and officially joined the working world of photography as a darkroom printer in 1915. It wasn't hard to see this photographer lacked a bit of heart when it came to working with his subjects, and James saw it and knew he could do better. His opportunity came during a Jewish holiday where he was left in charge of the studio, and before long, customers preferred him over the official owner. Before long, James was spending equal time behind the camera as he did in the darkroom. This led him to ask for a raise, which was quickly denied. So James started looking for a place to open his own photo studio. An offer from his sister Jenny to open a studio in conjunction with the conservatory was all he needed to hear, and he opened his first official photo studio at 63 West 140th Street. It didn't take long before notable Harlemites walked through the studio doors. However, being of a cautious mind, Van Der Zee continued to work as a musician and elevator operator to supplement his income. With the loss of his first son, Emile, after a harsh winter, James and Kate's marriage started to dissolve and eventually ended in divorce. While working at the Chatsworth Apartments, James met his second wife, Ganella, who would become his partner in life and business with Guaranteed Photo Studio, which would last for the next 60 years. Their busiest days were Sundays, with everyone dressed for church. What better place to go afterwards and document their families? Christmas, Easter, graduations, confirmations, even funerals were requesting Vanderzee, also known as the picture-taken man, the man with the keenest eye in Harlem. In addition to events, 
James received clients referred by the Eastman Kodak Company, who also requested high-quality photos of black subjects for their calendars. When a subject would walk in and the setting looked right, James would ask the subject to sign a waiver so their photo could be reprinted in the annual Kodak calendar. While his reputation grew as the picture-taking man, James was asked by Marcus Garvey to be the official photographer for the UNIA, Universal Negro Improvement Association. This gave James an opportunity to capture life outside of his studio setting and in the streets. Parades, auxiliary drills, conventions, name a few, all needed documentation from Vanderzee. With the 30s came the Great Depression, but Vanderzee and his wife Ganella persevered by moving the studio a few times to survive financially, and they ended up at 272 Lenox Avenue, where they would stay until 1968. Passport photos, insurance accidents, even the occasional autopsy became the norm to survive since the advent of consumer cameras relegating studios for special occasions. Changes passed across their storefront with the Harlem riots of 1964 that coincided with the passing of the Civil Rights Act that outlawed discrimination based on race, sex, or religion. In 67, trusting the wrong people and an incident with a marshal and deputies caused the loss of their home and studio, which impacted Ganella greatly causing mental trauma that she would never recover from. Around this time, a researcher named Reginald McGee was working on a project for the Metropolitan Museum of Art when he found images by James Vanderzee. His photos proved Harlem had once been a vibrant community and cultural capital of black America, named as such for the exhibition that would highlight the work of Vanderzee and bring him the notoriety he finally deserved. Once the show premiered in 1969, Vanderzee was everywhere and people wanted to see more of his work. He was honored by the American Society of Magazine Photographers, elected as a member of the National Geographic Society, and given an award of merit from the Photographers Forum. James eventually published his first book, The Harlem Book of the Dead, in 1978, and two years later began a new series of portraits with subjects like Jean-Michel Basquiat, Muhammad Ali, Cicely Tyson, Miles Davis, Ruby Dee, and more. During his final years, he traveled the United States with his third wife, Donna, making appearances, attending exhibitions, and accepting awards. James received many honorary degrees, but on the night he received his doctorate from Howard University, he had a heart attack and was rushed to the hospital, where he was later pronounced dead at the age of 96. The picture-taking man will always be remembered for having captured a pivotal time in the history of Black America. His legacy has continued to grow and thrive, teaching new generations about the history of Harlem and the connection between a subject and its photographer, which was just as important to James as the printed image. Now something for cultivating your creative mind. Check out an organization called Creative Capital. Their mission is to support innovative and adventurous artists across the country through funding, counsel, gatherings, and career development services. They seek to amplify the voices of artists working in all creative disciplines and catalyze connections to help them realize their visions and build sustainable practices. Visit their site at creative-capital.org to learn more.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Color and Photography. Follow us on Instagram at Color and Photography to see some of the images we refer to in this podcast. And of course, subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes and interviews on the diversity and uniqueness of photography from the past and the present. This podcast was produced and edited by Amy Santos with sound by Stefan Bode.